Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Jane Garvey. And I'm Fee Glover. Off Air with Jane and Fee is going live. We are taking to the stage at the amazing Crucible Theatre in Sheffield on Friday the 31st of May. It'll be a night full of surprises. We'll have a special guest, we'll involve you in the audience and we'll embarrass ourselves. You really won't want to miss it. Well, the surprises, we don't yet know what's in it, so it genuinely is a night of surprises. Well, you've surprised me already. Uh, It's not just us. Our live show is part of an exciting new podcast festival called Cross wires which is taking place in some really amazing venues across sheffield from the 31st of may to the 2nd of june so other podcasters that you'll be able to see include katie price Catherine ryan ramash ranganathan and the original adam buxton but there's also a whole host of free fringe events family shows surprise acts and after parties that jane and i haven't yet been invited to I'm sure it's only a matter of time head to crosswires.live for tickets and more information Most people have a vague idea what Bitcoin is, and an even vaguer idea where the island of Puerto Rico is. Put them together, and that's a whole lot of vague. But it turns out it's also a whole lot of money. Over the last 10 years, $3 trillion of wealth has been made in the cryptocurrency world, and a lot of it has headed, together with its owners, to the Caribbean. Some of these houses are going for... 10, 15, 20 million dollars at this point. There's luscious golf courses, beautiful swimming pools. Is this the birth of a digital democracy or just a tax haven for blockchain brats? My colleague Josh Clancy has been trying to get his head round it. There is certainly quite a lot of grumbling and dissatisfaction about what's going on. You're listening to Stories of Our Times on The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, Bitcoining it in Puerto Rico. I mean, there has been some reporting on this this movement, obviously, in the American media, and I was living in America, so I was aware of it. Josh Clancy was, until recently, the Washington bureau chief at The Sunday Times. Now... I'm special correspondent for The Sunday Times. He's telling me about how he got drawn into the strange, opaque world of cryptocurrency. It all started last November with a turkey. So my wife is Floridian. So we were in Palm Beach, Florida for Thanksgiving. And I was sat next to her cousin. We were sort of uh, munching on turkey and um, marshmallow and sweet potatoes and all these sort of hideous things that they eat at Thanksgiving. (laughs) And he was banging on to me about Ethereum. He's an Ethereum trader, and I wasn't that interested. But then he started telling me about Art Basel Miami, which is the big annual art fair they have in Switzerland and also in Miami. And he was saying, oh, this year is going to be kind of the Woodstock for crypto people because everyone's become obsessed with these things called NFTs, non-fungible tokens, which are kind of digital tokens that attach to pieces of art that people now trade. 
And he said, everyone's going to be there. It's going to be wild. There'll be parties, you know, all the celebs will be there. And I thought, well, this will make a good story. And rather than go home to rainy London next week, why don't I spend a week in Miami (laughs) and see what the hell's going on? And I did. It rocked my world. It really did. Because it felt like you were really, people compared it to being at the first big dot-com conferences in the late 90s. People were kind of coalescing around this new wealth and these new opportunities in a way that really fascinated me. And I thought, hang on, I've been wrong to turn my nose up at this, at least journalistically, because this is a big story. And you met someone there too. So I met uh, a woman called Amanda Cassett, who is quite a prominent person in cryptocurrency. You're limited as a crypto project in terms of what you can say credibly about yourself. So you can say, you know, we're talking about brand positioning. I'm this. We produce. I think she's probably depressingly younger than I am. I think she's probably about 31 or 32. And so good marketing in this space is about understanding the audience. And the audience sometimes is developers. She also runs probably the first serious uh, crypto-focused marketing firm called Serotonin. She grew up in Washington, D.C., but she moved to Puerto Rico as part of this Puerto Rico movement. And I would say she's one of the main figures in that world down there. There's this macro picture, which is that there's value moving from the centralized economy that's mm-hmm. controlled by a bunch of individuals. Mm-hmm. Discretionarily. We were queuing for pizza, I think. And she really started talking to me about all of this. And I thought, hang on, this is the first time I've heard someone. She's a real, a true believer, a zealot, I would say. And I thought okay, this is the first time I've really had a compelling case for all of this. Uh, And she said, look, you know, you should come along and check it all out if you're interested. We're trying to build a new world. That's what we're doing in Puerto Rico. It's a kind of utopian vision that's developing down there. So off Josh flew to the island, which is home to around three and a half million people, and to San Juan, the capital. Puerto Rico is part of the United States of America, but it is not a state. So it is what's known as an unincorporated territory. It is governed by America. It obviously has a devolved local government and governor. Puerto Ricans automatically get the right to American citizenship, which a lot of people don't want to give up. So there's arguably, there's probably more Puerto Ricans living in America at this point than there are in Puerto Rico because there's a huge drain out to the US. It sort of sits kind of in the middle of the Caribbean, really, quite near Haiti. And it's a beautiful you know, lush tropical Caribbean island, but it's also very American. So particularly if you if you come off the boat in San Juan, uh, you are hit by subways and McDonald's. It's a funny mixture of different influences. The population was about 5 million, but there's been a huge brain drain. They've had awful hurricanes there, particularly Hurricane Maria in 2017 was cataclysmic. The first pictures now coming in from Puerto Rico after taking a direct hit. Hurricane Maria slamming into the island. And as you heard, one official saying the island is destroyed. And hundreds of thousands of people left. Many of them went to Florida. So they have a sort of dwindling population on the one hand, and then they have a small influx of very wealthy Americans coming the other way on the other. Josh was in Puerto Rico to try to understand who these so-called crypto migrants were and what they were up to. But to understand that, you have to understand this. What exactly are cryptocurrencies? Cryptocurrencies really emerged early on in the last decade when Bitcoin was founded. Well, actually, it was originally founded in 2008. 
by a sort of mysterious Japanese figure we think called Satoshi Nakamoto. Now, Bitcoin is basically, I mean, you know, all financial currencies are invented, right? You know, the pound doesn't exist other than the fact we sort of say it does. So Bitcoin is a digital currency. What's different, say, between Bitcoin or pound sterling is that it is decentralized and there is no, it has no physical manifestation, but it is also not run by, say, the Bank of England or any central bank or any government. It's cooperative, basically. So the technology that runs Bitcoin is called a blockchain. A blockchain is basically a digital ledger, a digital account of how many Bitcoins there are and who owns them. It is maintained cooperatively. So basically everyone who is on the Bitcoin blockchain plays a role in maintaining it, developing it and mining new ones. I say mining, they don't physically take them out of the ground. They use, <laughs> they build new code to create new Bitcoins. So Bitcoin was the first cryptocurrency. It's still by far the largest. Some people who own a lot of it will tell you that all the other ones are just mere frauds and fakes and copies. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of cryptocurrencies. There's another one called Ethereum, which has become its kind of main rival and competitor. And between the two, Bitcoin and Ethereum, that's about 70% of the cryptocurrency market. So those are the big boys that really require focusing on. So the advantage of this is supposed to be that it's not controlled by governments and the people who like this kind of thing think that's good, but that it is somehow limited by the people who are on this blockchain. What do you mean when you say limited? Well, I don't know what I mean when I say <laughs> limited. I mean, because I'm presuming that they can't just create billions more Bitcoins and make everybody theoretically rich. No. So they must have a form of limitation to maintain its value. Yeah, they do. So with Bitcoin, it's very, very difficult and expensive to produce new ones, increasingly so. You need an enormous amount of energy, which is another reason that cryptocurrencies are controversial because they're actually very, very high energy use. With Bitcoin, there are supposedly a finite number of Bitcoins. There are only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoins. And I think we've now got about 20 million out there in the world. So you can't just keep creating them. Other cryptocurrencies actually don't have that limit, but they are. it is just quite difficult there are kind of inbuilt limits to you can't just click a button and make a new one. You have to create the code. It's very energy intensive. Only a few people actually really know how to do that. What do we know about how much Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies have developed within the course of the last few years? There is a frankly staggering amount of money now at play here. The latest estimate for how much money is in cryptocurrency at the moment is about $3 trillion. You'll have noticed probably advertising coming up for the next World Cup in, in Qatar this November, and the sponsor of the World Cup is Crypto.com. It will be an official sponsor of the 2022 FIFA World Cup, scheduled for November kickoff in Qatar. The corporate sponsorship agreement will see Crypto.com's branding feature prominently at the tournament's venues. And they're sponsoring the Miami Grand Prix. There is respectability in this world now. I think the last figures I saw in Britain, about two over 2 million people in Britain had, to some level or other, invested in cryptocurrencies. So this isn't just techies in a bunker somewhere at this point. It's also, you know, my hairdresser loves cryptocurrency. It's people you meet in all walks of life are showing an interest in this gold rush. 
one of the things about cryptocurrency is that the people who like it really advocate for it hard, don't they? They are evangelists, sometimes somewhat overbearingly. Part of this is because of the incentive structure. If you happen to own Bitcoin, then the more people who become interested in Bitcoin and start buying it, the more the value of your coin goes up. Which just to me makes it feel quite suspect right from the off. There's plenty of people out there who will tell you this is a Ponzi scheme. And what they mean by that is that there's no real value or, or purpose to this thing, but but the people are promoting it because their ownership of it will benefit from other people you know, investing money and that, that many people are going to end up losing money. That's probably how I thought about it last year. I now know more about it. And there is, as I said, an enormous amount of institutional interest and money involved in this. Your pension scheme may be diversified in crypto at this point. Your country may have invested in cryptocurrencies. There are billionaires, there are banks, there are major corporations all showing an interest and investing money in cryptocurrencies and beyond. So it may be too big to fail at this point. If you look at the price of Bitcoin, every year or so, it takes a huge crash for whatever reason. But it always comes back up again. And it's now about £40,000 of Bitcoin. Seven or eight years ago, when people were first telling me to buy this and I was ignoring them, it was a few hundred pounds. So the direction of travel is all in one way. And also, I presume that one of their arguments is, in some strange way, it's actually safer than some other forms of investment and currency use. Absolutely. Bitcoin maximalists will tell you that part of that diversification is, well, what if the dollar crashes? What if the American economy crashes or the British economy crashes or the stock market crashes that actually diversifying into cryptocurrencies, although they're volatile, is safer in a world, particularly a world at the moment that is unstable and volatile geopolitically. It sounds like a bit of a survivalist argument, but I kind of get it. Right. What on earth has that got to do with Puerto Rico? (laughs) Well, about 10 years ago, Puerto Rico, which is a very poor country, uh, I think in 2019, about 57% of Puerto Rican children were living below the poverty line. They really, really is an economic basket case. And what they decided to try and do about this was change their tax laws to incentivize rich Americans to come and live there. And so they basically created a tax loophole. One of the big ones is capital gains tax you could say 40% capital gains tax by moving and spending the majority of your year in Puerto Rico. From that moment, a trickle that has now become quite a steady stream of wealthy Americans have started moving there. They reckon about eight to 10,000, many of them worth tens, if not hundreds of millions. And if you're someone who has just made a lot of money with an asset that's sort of ballooned overnight, i.e. say a cryptocurrency, they have to spend 183 days a year resident in Puerto Rico if you want to start living off that money. Let's talk about how they're living and, how, and, and what you saw about how they're living. They are resident in a few clutches of area, really mostly gated communities. Some of these houses are going for 10, 15, $20 million at this point. There's luscious golf courses, beautiful swimming pools. Others choose to live in San Juan, which is a much more kind of crumbling, seedy, old colonial town. Lots of like cocktail bars and renovated old Spanish colonial mansions. It's a pretty nice life. You went there with the intention of meeting some of these crypto migrants. Now, you spend some time uh, talking to a guy called Brock Pierce. Brock Pierce is a fascinating character. 
So he was a child actor. I don't know if you remember the Mighty Ducks, the ice hockey franchise. Face twice, face twice, face three times. Scores! Yes, 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 yes. What a play! So he was in the Mighty Ducks, and then he sort of reinvented himself as a very early Bitcoin investor and made a lot of money by buying up Bitcoin back in the middle mid 2010s he's a rather hippie-ish figure dresses in a usually some sort of fedora and often wears kind of leather waistcoats you know with nothing on underneath and shark tooth necklaces and that sort of thing I'm sitting outside with James we're doing an interview for Lion recording Sunday time I actually met him over sushi in Miami when I was when I was there he has almost quasi religious belief in cryptocurrencies, in Bitcoin, and in changing the world. Well, we've seen it coming. Right. You know, this digital transformation, you know, it's technology has changed all of our lives, all of our businesses, it's affecting all of our institutions, and this next wave or iteration of it where this digital economy, you know, is, is now becoming pervasive. Brock Pierce, I think, has become a bit of a boogeyman in Puerto Rico because he's seen as the face of this neo-colonial project. He's made a lot of big promises about money. He's going to invest in Puerto Rico. He said he's going to spend a billion dollars on Puerto Rico and associated projects around that. Um, so it was a little bit vague. I think it's clear he hasn't spent that. But he has spent quite a lot. Are you still in the process of giving away like a lot of the money you've made from crypto? Because I read that you were. Giving money away every day. Yeah. All the time. Do you enjoy that? Yeah. Giving is the greatest gift there is. Yeah. Well, I don't consider any of what I have really to be mine. Right. I'm just a steward. Yeah. A custodian of it. Yeah. I think he has invested a lot in philanthropic projects. Whether all of them have worked out or not is also another question. Do the people of Puerto Rico really want this? Do they want to be a charity case for, for Bitcoin millionaires? All these questions are, you know, are up in the air. He is very much the focal point of local anger towards, towards this situation. And how does he live? I mean, what kind of style does he live in? He has bought up a lot of significant property in Puerto Rico. He um, travels constantly. Is he bringing up a family there in Puerto Rico? He has a wife called Crystal. I'm not aware that they have any children. Okay. Now, Josh, tell me what you think about this. I mean, in some ways, this feels like a kind of strange form of Klondike rush. All these people saying this is the place to go because of the tax breaks and we'll all go there together. Did it have the feeling of permanence to you? I mean, there are people there who have bought houses, had children... There are schools there that they're sending their kids to, international schools. And there's no reason to not believe them when they say, you know, we're planning to be here for 5, 10, 15 years. There are lots of other people who are clearly somewhat nomadic and really just in it for the tax breaks and the adventure. Uh, and it's a bit of a change of scene and it's fun. A lot of people went down there during the pandemic because it felt like actually, why be in New York or Los Angeles when we can go down to Puerto Rico? What's holding us back? I think that as long as the tax incentives remain as significant as they are, people will continue to stay there and, and be attracted by it. Were those tax incentives to change, 
my sense is that at the moment, a lot of people would leave. But the hope is the real true believers will tell you that we're trying to build an infrastructure here. They talk about turning it into a Hong Kong or a Dubai type society in the Caribbean, and they want it to be the financial capital of this new economy they're trying to build. Their hope is that it will become self-sustaining um, and that it will become a project that transforms the whole of Puerto Rico's future, but to be determined. To be determined, indeed. In a moment, we'll find out how Puerto Ricans are receiving their unexpected new neighbours. But first, a message from a colleague. Hello, I'm Jane Mulkerens, Associate Editor of The Times magazine. By listening in, you make it possible for me to bring you exclusive stories that you won't get anywhere else. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. I think this is a very good point at which to to move on to how Puerto Ricans feel about it because the difference between Hong Kong and this project is that the Hong Kong people did it in Hong Kong and this is outsiders coming into Puerto Rico to do it to them and for them. The Cryptopians, as they're called, who are down there are aware of this and they are making significant efforts to reach out to Puerto Ricans. There are cryptocurrency courses and lectures that are put on for free. I met young Puerto Rican fashion designers and real estate speculators who have been brought into this crypto world by some of the Americans who've moved down there. But obviously, that doesn't necessarily hold for all Puerto Ricans. And there is a lot of scepticism. The disparities are obviously rather brutal between these $20 million houses on the beachfront and, you know, favela style living that, that some Puerto Ricans still endure. 
clearly there is some dissatisfaction with that. But I think the government's, the local government's perspective is this is bringing money into our economy and we need it. And there will be a trickle down effect. They do still pay corporation taxes, the businesses that move down there. And it's worth it. It's not optimal, but it's better than our alternatives. Now, you spoke to at least one local person. Can you tell me about her? Yeah, so Ana Teresa Toro is a writer, activist, uh, university lecturer. I am also here in an effort to keep relevant and present Puerto Rico's situation after Hurricane Maria and after the winds of bankruptcy that have been assailing us for a few years now. Very kind of elegant, thoughtful figure in the local community. And I got in touch with her because I realised that she was quite active in advocating against this project. And I had a long chat with her and her perspective was that this whole thing is being done in what she called a, a colonial framework. That the idea that these people can get a free ride, come to Puerto Rico and then spend their money and, and we as Puerto Ricans just have to sort of sit and say thank you. She described it as these people are hosting uh, their own play in our living room. And she was very resentful, frankly, and very quite angry about this whole project that she just views as yet another iteration of basically white colonialists coming to the Caribbean, using it as their playground. There have been protests. I wouldn't say it's a mass protest movement against this thing. Frankly, a lot of Puerto Ricans have more pressing things to worry about, like can they feed their children and is their school open and that sort of thing. But there is certainly quite a lot of grumbling and dissatisfaction about what's going on. Would I be right in thinking that Puerto Ricans obviously are Hispanic and there will be a not insignificant black population because of the history of the of the area, but that the crypto billionaires tend not to be either? On the whole, that is true. There are interesting aspects of, if you look at cryptocurrency investment in the US, a lot of black and young black and Hispanic millennials are very interested in it. And they see it as a path to wealth and a path to kind of circumvent the, the structures of the society that maybe don't necessarily benefit them. So someone like Azalea Banks, the hip hop artist, is very, very passionate about this. She says, this is the only chance we have to create a properly black middle class. But the people that I met, did tend to be white middle-class people from liberal America. There is a bit of a racial tension, I suppose. I was just wondering what you made of it all in the end. And part of me thinks that if it is indeed a kind of completely new form of using the internet, that we are only just coming to grips with the implications of things like social media 10, 15, 20 years into their development. And that to embrace something like this makes you feel that five, 10 years down the down the road from this, we're going to find out what we've got wrong. What would those things be? Cryptocurrency is only really the tip of the spear here. The argument is that the blockchain technology that underpins it can be used to, to basically transform our whole economy by decentralizing everything, making it much more peer-to-peer. So, for example, if you wanted to take a loan out, you might not go to a, to a mortgage broker. You would just post some collateral and I might give you some money. The implications of all this are huge and they, they go beyond just digital currency. You're right, the speed is frankly staggering. I think huge mistakes will be made. There are a number of issues around regulation, around money laundering. Personally speaking, I'm a cynic and a Luddite, like all good journalists, 
And <laughs> I'm pretty skeptical. I'm skeptical we need this. I'm skeptical that most people want it, frankly, if they understood it. I think there's a lot of people overhyping this because they're invested in it. And I think that there will be various crashes and scandals over the next few years. But I also think that it's probably going to happen anyway to some, on some level. I mean, what exactly takes shape over the next five, 10 years, no one's sure. But there is just so much money to be made doing this. There is so much interest in it now from the major tech players, young and old, that I think they're building a world and I think the rest of us are going to have to live in it to some extent, whether we like it or not. And do you think the Puerto Rico bubble is going to stay afloat? Do bubbles stay afloat? I don't know what they do. Anyway, do you think do you think the Puerto Rico thing will work for Puerto Rico in the longer term? I probably guess not, because the politics there are very volatile. I think the conditions that have brought people there could shift. And I don't think enough of the people I met were committed to Puerto Rico and its future. Some are. I don't want to be cynical about all of them. I don't think we will see a Dubai of the Caribbean or a Hong Kong emerge in Puerto Rico. But stranger things have happened. It is a lovely place uh, with some natural advantages. So who knows? But yeah, I, I, I'd say I wouldn't, I'm not overly optimistic. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Josh Glancy, the special correspondent at The Sunday Times. You can read more of Josh's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer was Will Rowe, the executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you have any thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon.